So the last couple weeks, we have been uh, talking about this, this series that we're calling Changed, and really focusing on, are we putting ourselves, are we putting our lives in a position to be transformed by God? At the end of First Thessalonians, it says, um, may God himself sanctify you completely or uh, change you completely from the inside out. You know, we have been rescued, we have been saved, we have been brought from, from death to life, but it's not just like we're brought from death to life and then we're done. But there's this ongoing relationship that the Lord desires to have with us where we are being transformed, where every day we are growing in Christ-likeness. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. And so my prayer is, as we've been uh, going through various disciplines over the last couple of weeks, a discipline of fasting where we're creating a heart hunger for the Lord we talked about meditation and, and fixing our mind and our thoughts on the Word and what the Word says. We've talked about the importance of confession. We've talked about uh, the importance of just getting quiet away from the noise of life and sitting in solitude before the Lord. My prayer is that we're not just hearing God speak to us or hearing these words, but we're actually living them out. We're actually taking advantage of this opportunity that we have to come before the God of the universe and of putting our hearts right in front of Him to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. But I think about this, like, why do we do this? Is it just that we, we get something from the Lord? Like, okay, we get some peace, we get uh, different things in our life, and, and that's important. But why are we doing this? Why, why do we constantly want to put our hearts before the Lord to be transformed by Him? And I think the answer to this is seen in 2 Corinthians 5. And the goal of your life and the goal of my life is to, to, to be transformed in such a way where we are living wholeheartedly for Jesus. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to start there this morning. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and, and Corinth is this community where a lot of people were bragging on their accomplishments. We're talking about how awesome they were, and, and even followers of Jesus were talking about how awesome they are uh, and what they were doing. And Paul is writing to his critics, Paul is writing to people who are kind of complaining about some of the things that he's doing, and he is revealing his motivation for life. So just before this, uh, the verses that I'm going to read, he's, he's saying, I'm going to talk to those who are boasting about themselves, who are boasting in their own ability. He says this in verse 14. This is his motivation, Paul's motivation. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Another translation says, compels us or consumes us. Paul is saying he was so consumed by the love of Jesus, so captivated by the love of Jesus. As he encountered Jesus and his life was transformed, he went from being a persecutor of Jesus to being the loudest proclaimer of Jesus. He was, went from an enemy to a deep friend of Jesus. He says, the love of Christ controls us because... We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, why? So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul's saying, the love of Christ so consumes me, so controls me, I realize that, that one person, Jesus, died for all of my sins so that I could be a new creation. I died and have been raised to life in Christ. Why? So that I might live for Jesus and not for myself. I mean, this is the goal of our life. 
This is the purpose of of your life and my life as a follower of Jesus. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, here is the purpose. That you live wholeheartedly for him. Why? Because it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. I mean, I love this picture of, of baptism. One that we see as, as people are, are going down in the waters of baptism. It's a beautiful picture of what happened as we put, gave our life to Jesus. It's a picture of that we have died. That our old self has been put to death. But then we've been raised to new life in Christ. And so that our motivations, our desires, our passions, everything has been transformed because we have been transformed from the inside out. Is that the purpose of your life? Is that the passion of your life? Every single day you're walking around saying, I am no longer living, Christ is living in me, and I'm living completely for him. See, I know that we love these verses where it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been brought from death to life. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is true. That is what has happened to us. We have been transformed. But does it impact every one of our decisions that we make? Does it impact every life or every day of our lives? Or are we consumed still with our own selves? This week I was really struck by a warning that we see in 2 Timothy 3. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Timothy 3. Paul is again writing to a church, and this is the last letter that Paul would write. So these are kind of his his final words. And he's saying this, 2 Timothy 3. says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. They will be heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. They will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Paul is saying there will be difficult days in the last days. There will be difficult times. Even Jesus says this, that that times will get difficult. That as the end comes near, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and there will be times that are extremely terrible. And why are they extremely terrible? I think we see the picture here. It's a picture that, that that, that is terrible because people are only consumed with themselves. I mean, you look at these, this list, and it is quite the list. But what is at the, the very foundation of all of these issues? It's that people have a love of themselves. Why do they have a love of money? Because they love themselves. Why are they proud? Because they love themselves. Why are they focused on uh, the appearance of godliness but denying its power? Because they're focused on themselves. And I wonder, as I read this, I put my heart in this passage, and I'm like, okay, God, am I a lover of self? Is this characteristic of me? Because we like to read this and say, oh, Paul must have been talking about the world. Paul must have been talking about those people out there, but let's remember who Paul is talking to. He is writing this letter to the church. And so he's saying in the last days, in the church, there will be people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, all of that. You know, we are living in what sociologists would say 
is the most narcissistic culture ever on the face of the planet. The most narcissistic culture. They're so focused on themselves. No other generation has been so focused on themselves. And we probably would agree. I mean, we have pages devoted to ourselves. We are consumed with ourselves. The world is consumed with themselves. Marketing is all about you getting focused on yourself. But Jesus calls us to live differently. Are we? A couple weeks ago, I was at a worship concert, and it was pretty interesting. We were sitting there, uh, or standing there worshiping and, and singing, and something caught my eye. Something caught my attention. We were singing a song that we love to sing here, Graves into Gardens. And it started off, you know, the song goes, you know, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, and blah, 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 never enough. And then it got to the chorus, and it says, oh, there's nothing better than you. And we love that, because we're like, oh, yeah, there's nothing better than God. But I looked, and I saw somebody singing that with their phone, and they were videoing the, the concert. But I looked closer, and they were videoing themselves singing that song. And it just became so ironic. They're singing this song that was written to talk about, God, there's no one better than you. And they're just videoing themselves going, oh, there's nothing better than you. And I'm like, it's so interesting. Is that the condition of our heart, that we're so focused on ourselves, that we're so stuck in selfie mode instead of having our eyes fixed on Jesus? Because this is the life that you and I are to live. Not stuck on selfie mode focused on ourselves, but having our focus on the world and living wholeheartedly for Jesus. There is a song that early believers would sing. And it's out of Philippians 2. And this is how we're supposed to live. And you know these words to this, to this, uh, to this passage. Philippians 2, Paul is writing again. And this is a song that they would sing in the early church. And they were singing this about Jesus. And Jesus said, if you want to, to find your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to give up everything to follow me. But you're going to find your life. And why was he able to say that? Because he lived this way. Look at this picture of, how we, of, of Jesus that we see in Philippians 2. Verse 6. This is talking about Jesus. And let these words sink in. This is the posture. This is the attitude of our Savior. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Gave it all up. By taking the form of a servant... Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, we read those words. Look at those words. He emptied himself. The God of the universe. Colossians 1 says everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus. The one who, who was the power behind creation coming into to being existence says he emptied himself. He left heaven behind and he took on the very form of a servant, washing his disciples' feet, touching the leper, healing the sick. He became a servant and went all the way to the cross. The night before, he was betrayed, praying to, praying to his father, saying, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. 
completely humbled to the Father, obedient to the Father. This is the posture of our Savior, Jesus. And you and I are the recipients of the greatest act of selfless sacrifice this world has ever seen. I mean, just think about the great exchange. He took our life on his shoulders. He took our sin. He took the death that we deserve. And as a result, we get life. We get restored relationship with God the Father if we put our faith in him. I mean, it's the greatest gift that we have ever received. All because of the selfless sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. And what's our response to be? Look at the, very, the verses right before this. Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from, the lo- uh, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if you've received anything from Jesus, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, absolutely nothing, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I'm going to read that again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Turn the camera of your life from yourself onto others, because life is not about us. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I look at that, and this is very easy to understand here, but very difficult to live out. But this is the life that you and I are invited into as followers of Jesus. We have received so much, and Paul is saying to you and I today, don't live for yourself. Life is not about you. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but have the same attitude of Jesus that every day offering your life up for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of Jesus by serving those who you come in contact with every single day. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew 25, he shares this story. Story about a master who goes to his servants and he says, you know what, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you Talent. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a talent. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. To another, he gave one talent. A talent was 20 years wages. And so he gave them something. He says, I'm leaving, and now go ahead and take care of it. He goes away, and then he comes back one day, and uh, the servant comes to, or the master comes to the servant and says, what did you do with what I gave you? And the one with five said, you know what? I produced five more. And the master looks at him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Goes to the one with two and, and says, I, I, I created, I, I came up with two more. I, I produced two more. And, and the master looks at him and says, you know what? Well done, good and faithful servant. And he goes to the one who had one talent, 20 years wages, one talent. He says, I know that you're a harsh master. And so I buried it. I did nothing with it. And how does Jesus respond? He says, away from me, away from me. You're worthless. Because he did nothing with what was given. And then Jesus picks up from that that point. And I want to read these words because these are words that we know, but words that I want us to live by. Matthew 25. Jesus picks up after he shares that story. And he says this, When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, those who will inherit eternal life, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. I look at that. And I see, like, this is how Jesus wants us to live. This is the life that we are invited into, that every single day there is opportunity for, for us to serve others. And Jesus is saying, whatever you've done for these people, whatever you've done for the thirsty, whatever you've done for the hungry, whatever you've done for the stranger, you have done it for me. And two things pop out. One, Jesus is closely connected with those who are in need. Jesus is saying, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I'm like, wow, Jesus, you're closely connected with those who are struggling in life. To the point where when we do it, we're not doing it for that other person, but we're doing it for Jesus. So the motivation behind why we serve, it's not for the other person, but it's ultimately all for the glory of Jesus. This is how we are to live. This is how we are to live our lives, spending our lives serving and sacrificing for the sake of others, for the glory of Jesus. Now I read that passage, and if I'm honest, I wrestle with it. I struggle with it. Because it looks like we better be busy. We better do a bunch of things. That our eternal reward is based on what we do. But that goes against all of Scripture. It says, For by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing, it is a gift of God. So I really wrestled with this passage this week. And then it hit me. You go back to Matthew 25, verse 15. And it says this up on the screen It says, To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. The master gave. They, weren't, they didn't earn the talents. They didn't do anything to produce those talents. Here the master came and gave them something that they did not earn. And it says, here, do something with it. It was a gift. And the one with five had their lives transformed in such a way that says, wow, this is a gift, I better do something with it. You and I, our lives are a gift. Every part of our lives is a gift. It has been given to us by the blood of Jesus. You are purchased with a price, the very precious blood of Jesus, and now we are to live wholeheartedly for him, taking every aspect of our lives and recognizing that it's been a gift given to us by God. And so what are you doing today with the gift that you've been given? Every aspect of your life. Are you living wholeheartedly for Jesus? Are we living in this self-sacrificial way where it's not about us, but we're looking for opportunities to serve people that we come in contact with because there is opportunity every single day and this is a picture of worship worship is more than a song worship includes singing but worship is offering your life as a living sacrifice serving others i just think this week how can you live a sacrificial life 
How can you be so filled with the love and joy of Jesus that it just permeates out of you and you're looking for people to serve? How are you serving and worshiping the Lord with your time? Because your time doesn't belong to you. Your time is from the Lord. As you go throughout your day, as you, as you walk throughout town, as you live in your neighborhoods, are you looking for ways that you can serve others? Are you looking for ways that you can sacrificially give to other people? When you go into Meijer and the, the person behind the register is having a bad day, are you frustrated with them or do you believe that God has sent you to them to, to, to give them encouragement and to give them life? See, too often we're going throughout our days thinking of ourselves like, I'm going to Meijer to do this, this, and this, and this. But you just might come across somebody who needs a touch from Jesus, and Jesus has sent you to touch them. Are we having our eyes wide open with our time? Are we so consumed with our to-do list that we go from one thing to the next instead of seeing the opportunities that Jesus puts in front of us every single day? I believe Jesus will say, when I was in Meijer and I was in need, and you stopped and you talked with me or you prayed with me, that was it. You were doing that for me when you cared for that person. What about your talent that the Lord has given you? What about the gifts that the Lord has given you? Are you using those to serve other people? Are you using your, your God-given talents to serve? But are also, are you using those supernatural talents where, where the Holy Spirit just gives you a gift in a moment? Are you using that for the glory of of God, or are you shrinking back and saying, I don't know if this is to be shared. I have such a vision for this gathering here on a Sunday morning that it looks like a spiritual potluck that everybody is coming and bringing something to the table. You know, one of the beautiful things about a potluck is like everybody brings something. Everybody contributes. And you come across a dish and you're like, oh, wow, this is really good. This is amazing. And then you mix a couple together and you're like, wow, that is really, really good. And I just see this gathering as a spiritual potluck where everybody's coming not to be served, but to serve and say, you know what, I have something that I want to bring. Do I share this or do I share that? Or back in the, in the lobby, do I go over and, and pray for this person because I, I'm coming, I'm bringing something? Are you using your talent in such a way to bring glory and honor to Jesus? Or your treasure, your financial resources? You know, in the Old Testament, it says bring a tithe into the house. Bring 10%. Bring that before the Lord. Now, the New Testament never shares about, never talks about the tithe. But I'll say this, it never go, does away with the tithe, but it says your whole life, every aspect, all your finances, all your resources are for the Lord, to be used by the Lord. And then the last thing, what about your speech? How are you serving others with what you're saying about others? I look at that list from 2 Timothy 3, and it says, In the last days, people will be lovers of self. They will be slanderous in the church, gossip, talking about other people. We have such an opportunity to serve people with our lives, with our lips, with every aspect. And this is what God created you for in Christ Jesus. You are God's workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. Why? So that people don't see us, so that they see the risen Christ. This is the vision of our lives, to live sacrificially. And I think we need to get a bigger vision of our lives to say we are living not for ourselves, but for him. To get our phones off a of selfie mode and onto the world and saying, God, there is a world that is broken that desperately needs to know you. And I believe you're sending me 
into those places to be the hand, your hands and feet so that people will move from darkness to light. I want to end by reading the words from 2 Timothy 3. And I want you to close your eyes. And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. As we're reading this list, what are the areas that you maybe need to confess to the Lord and say, you know what, that's me. I see that in my life. What are those things that are kind of popping out and saying, you know what, this needs to go in my life. I don't want to be a lover of self. Paul says this. Just close your eyes and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. He says, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. They will be slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. They will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. God, I ask just through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would root out of us all love of self. That we would be a people that are wholeheartedly devoted to you, that, that we're living not for ourselves, but for you, Jesus, the one who rescued us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that as we go through this week, that you would give us your eyes, that you would give us your heart, that our heart would break for those who are all around us, those who are in need, those who need a touch from you. And just like you ran over and and touched the leper, Jesus, may we do the same thing. May we go to those dark places. May we go to the, the, the broken and the hurting and walk boldly And in so doing, show them not ourselves, but you, Jesus. Forgive us for the times when we've been focused on ourselves. And make us a people that are wholeheartedly willing to serve you and to live for you and you alone. And just as I think about this, I think about all the wonderful examples that we have in this room. Mothers who do this so well, who are living their lives out of a deep place of worship so that they're doing it not for their kids, but ultimately they're doing it for you, Jesus. And I pray that would rise up in us more and more every single day. It's in your name I pray. Amen. As we gathered together to pray this morning, Kay came and... uh, she was sharing about coming to our gathering this morning, and she's like, I just have this, this song in my mind, uh, the blessing. And I just have this feeling that this needs to be sung over people. It's just a, a way for the Lord to, to bless us. And just a feeling that people need to be blessed this morning. And I told her, I said, did you know that they were singing that song at the end? She's like, no, had no clue. So I love it. So during this song, we're gonna, they're going to sing the blessing. 
And I want you just to sit and receive and allow the Lord just to bless you, bless your life, to be so filled up that when you go out from this place, you can't help contain yourself, but you have to live your life wholeheartedly for Jesus.
generations and your family and your children and the children and the children may his favor be upon you in a thousand generations and your family and your children and the children and the children may his favor be upon you in a thousand Generations and your family and your children and the children and the children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he's for you 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 blessing us. Thank you for being able to come here this morning and give you the praise, give you the glory. Thank you for being able to celebrate moms. Thank you for giving us what we need every day to be the moms that we are and to love on the people that are around us every single day, God, whether they're our own, whether we're borrowing them, whether we meet them in the Isle of Meyer. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us with the ability to do what we do. We give you the glory for every every bit of it. In your name, amen.
great Sunday. Enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll see you throughout the week. God bless.